Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. If you can't see value here today, you're not up here shopping, you're up here shoplifting. Bacon. Did you say £10? That's a bargain, I'll take one. Eddie. You too. Join me in my office. Fat man. Oi! Soap. Four friends. That's my 25 grand. With a money-making scheme. You sure you can afford 25? I can afford it as long as I see it again. That's quick. You play cards tonight, son. With Harry. Easy. Oh, that'd be silly, Dad. And very expensive. I'll see you. For half a million. Four young fellas getting deeper than they could handle. I am panicking. That would be half a million pounds. I'm going to give you one week to find it. Let me tell you about that, you Harry. If Harry don't kill you... Ah! Then your father will. I've got a plan. How are the oddies, fellas? Shit! We'll hit them as soon as they come back. We'll be prepared, waiting. We're on. God knows how much of this stinking weight. Is this a declaration of war? Ooh. A shitload of cash. No one's responsible for this torture. And a traffic order. I actually probably need IMDb up for this because I, I can't really, other than Jason Statham, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to be able to keep any. Uh, the actors' names, I don't think, will have any uh, meaning to any particular <laughs> listeners of this show. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm really scared of this one because of that, because, you know, there are so many characters and they all do kind of, you know, get mixed up with each other and everything. And so, like, the only people... um the only people I really remember, you know, is is like Big Chris by name, and uh, a non-actor, which uh, I think is I, know uh, <laughs> I think is one of the staples. I didn't realize that part. I knew Vinnie Jones was a uh, football player, but I didn't realize until I was reading into it. Uh, I think that they cited seventeen non-actors, or at least this uh, being like the first time those gentlemen acted in a film. So I, I did not realize that. Uh, yeah, let's just, uh, let's get into it. Um, lock, stock and two smoking barrels is, I, I guess to some degree, a, a hit. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if this one crossed over, uh, to the mainstream other than Jason Statham. I guess it sort of birthed his career, 
in the States. But if you're interested in film uh, back in uh, 99, it was a, a hip crime film. And one of the few, I guess, that came post Tarantino that actually got critical acclaim and found some degree of success with audiences. What, what, what is your memory of uh, Lockstock's release back in the 90s, Ben? Pretty much nothing, um, but I do remember that it was one that I was always meaning to see, and I, it would just kind of sit there, um, you know, not not physically, but just sort of in my mind as, yeah, I should really get around to watching that someday. But, um, you know, in the last episode, you said something about how I probably should have watched this before. And yeah, you kind of hit the nail right on the head. Like it's sort of, it's a tough one to come to at this point in my life. And I think it plays probably a lot less effectively than it would if, you know, if I was watching it um, at the age that I was intended to watch it at. And um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like a Guy Ritchie hater or anything. That's me um, on this episode, by oh, the way. okay. <laughs> I'll raise my hand. They can't see it, but that's me. I, I have really good memories of seeing Snatch in theaters and really loving it. And, and I think I watched it a few years ago and it held up pretty well. Um, obviously, though, you know, you look at his filmography, nothing really after that has been as good or really even good, some would say. Um, we got Swept Away, which, which you know, whenever I'm trying to find the Lena Warpmiller swept away i always find copies of guy ritchie swept swept away and it angers me like like it's so it 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 angers me so much that i can't find the first female best director nominee uh movie but i can always find guy ritchie's swept away like no matter where i'm searching whether it's netflix or the library or whatever um and to be fair uh it's probably not considered guy ritchie's swept away as much as madonna's i don't know where wherever you're looking i'm they're sure that's married, the right i mean well yeah but I'm, I'm i don't think it's his name that's that's keeping that in the discount bins i think it's probably madonna if, if there are tangible copies still around and to also be fair i've never seen swept away so i can't really comment on the quality but uh still to this day have no interest if we ever do a uh I don't know what that was, 2002 uh, podcast retrospective. I don't think that's going to be one that makes our like top 100 list. So don't think I'll ever catch it. I, you know, I, I like this quite a bit when it came out. And I, I think I probably saw it at the end of that year on video. And um, I, was, I was pretty jaded at that point uh, with the, the Tarantino sort of ripoffs. But I thought this one was fun. And uh, I, I like that you mentioned Snatch because I've done a, a 180 on those two films because when Snatch came out, I, I love Brad Pitt's uh, Gypsy Boxer, but I, I was sort of, I found it kind of lame as a teenager that Richie had doubled down and almost remade uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, or he's done uh, his, an early version of like the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe where it's just like characters who could have been in the lock stock world. But now I would have to say snatch is held up far better. It just feels like a, uh, maybe a cleaner version of lock stock and watching it this time around for the podcast. I'm not picking on the actors who I mentioned earlier, uh, were, were amateurs at this point, but it very much feels like a, um, sort of an amateur production. One that, uh, is very stylish and I do get a sense of fun from Guy Ritchie and, and crew that uh, they're making something that they, they want to see. But they're 
there are different moments in the film. There's different setups um, that I probably didn't recognize as much as a teenager. And watching it now, uh, it really feels quite slow at times when you have repeated scenes where characters are talking about other characters. And there's a lot of exposition as far as propping them up and their backstory and the mythology of these criminals as far as how badass they are and all these acts of violence they've done to previous people that are not in the film and not relevant to our main story. So I didn't have as much fun with this one. And I, as I said, I came in as the guy Richie hater, but I was kind of looking forward to watching it initially because I did like this one in snatch and I've really not liked anything since. So, uh, yeah, this is a, this was a little bit of a depressing watch because I feel like that was kind of taken away from me this time around. Well, I think many people will be considering themselves Ben Zook and Michael Dennison haters after this episode. Because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's my basic like reaction to it, too, is that I just didn't like it. I, I wanted to watch Snatch instead. And I think, I think the characters in Snatch are just so much more well-defined. And even, you know, having the one, the one actor, Dennis Farina, um, you know, and, have, and Brad Pitt having characters who are geographically from different places or different walks mm -hmm. of life um, makes it a much more like effortless, effortless movie to follow. Whereas here I feel, uh, I feel like I'm constantly struggling to, to figure out um, who's who, uh, where people fall in the pecking order of things. And that's pretty important when it, when it comes to like a, like a movie that deals with, you know, crime bosses and hitmen and you know bagmen and all that um when you start to just feel lost in, in in like a sea of different characters who you don't you don't really care a whole lot for them like i said i don't know if that'll make it in the episode or not my favorite character here is big chris because you instantly understand his rather um simple goals it, you know is just to kind of like work and keep his son Provider. safe yeah provider yeah. and um with everyone else i think it's all it's all mixed up in the air um and changing from scene to scene and it's hard to really develop a rooting interest in what they're doing i like nick the greek um because i feel i, I like seeing a middleman who uh for the most i don't think he has one scene where he's intimidating anyone i mean he's he's uh, truly middle management. And I think one of the problems with the film is they they introduce too many heavies, too many big villains. Mm -hmm. And you can really, as an audience member, I think only be intimidated for so long uh, by, the, by the swagger of these uh, these these icons of, of crime. And I you know, I think Hatchet Harry is probably good enough, uh, but then you you introduce, uh, a guy who doesn't uh, doesn't like to have his soccer match interrupted sets a man on fire. Uh, he has a, a prominent scene where he threatens uh, Nick the Greek, uh, the the man who the I guess the neighbor um, who lives next door to them that uh, orchestrates uh, this theft uh, of these weed dealers, uh, which allows our heroes to then sort of uh, rob from them to to save their own asses from Hatchet Harry. I, I feel like there are just far too many scenes with those those three guys uh, just really trying to make another character squirm that, you know, I find myself jaded and bored. Um, and I realize that those characters in that world uh, are not having indiv individual scenes with all of those particular actors. But we as an audience have to. We sit through all of them. And, uh, I, you know, there's just only so many times. And like I said, Hatchet Harry is the only one I think that 
kind of works. And maybe it's because he's the first one we're introduced to. It, it becomes like the ending of Alien 3. Um, it's just a bunch of pasty white skinhead British guys running around <laughs> uh, hurting each other and doing stuff. And I get I just get lost in it. And, and you know, it's funny. I just insulted a movie I really love uh, <laughs> in comparison it's a good to Lockstock. Pull, I like that analogy. <laughs> What what do you what do you make of our heroes here, uh, played by Jason Fleming uh, and Dexter Fletcher, who I, I don't recognize anymore. Uh, our lead, uh, Nick Moran, playing Eddie, uh, the uh, the the poker player who gets uh, sort of cheated uh, by uh, Hatchet Harry, and then of course Jason Statham, who went on to uh, become uh, you know Mister Expendable, a modern action star. Do you do you feel for any of their plights? Do you like that there are four guys, or do you feel like that should have been? trimmed up too do we need four uh friends as our heroes in this this crime saga there are individual moments that i really think are very funny the the scene at the bar what's that it's a cocktail you asked for a cocktail no i asked you to give me a refreshing drink I wasn't expecting a fucking rainforest you could fall in love with an orangutan in that you know that's very funny and, and i like the scene where they're talking about you know, solutions to their problem. And the one guy tells a big, long setup about about having like a like a gay sex bar or whatever. Listen to this one. You open up a company called Arse Ticklers Faggots Fan Club. You what? You take out an advert on the back page of some gay mag advertising the latest in arse-intruding dildos. You sell it with, I don't know, does what no other dildo can do until now. The latest and greatest in sexual technology. Guaranteed results your money back, all that bollocks. But they send their checks to the other company name, Bobby's Bits or something, for 25 quid. You take that 25 quid, you stick it in the bank until it clears. You send back the check for 25 pound from the other company name, Arse Ticklers Faggots Fan Club, saying, well, you're sorry, and we couldn't get the supplies from America because they run out of stock. Now, you see how many people cash that check not a single soul, because who wants their bank manager to know they tickle ass when they're not paying him checks? So how long do you have to wait till you see a return? Probably no more than four weeks. A month? So what fucking good is that if we need it in five days? Well, it's still a good idea. I think the best bit was that one there is he still wants credit for being a good idea, even though yeah. it can't be executed <laughs> in the time that they need it to be done. There's some very funny stuff. You know, so, I mean, I'm not saying that I, if I, I think if I had seen this in 1999, um, I would have said this guy has a lot of potential, but I didn't find myself on the same wavelength as the movie itself. And I, I, I didn't go back to look at, uh, some of the initial reviews. It currently holds a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes from an audience score, uh, 76%. That's a lie. From- so <laughs> the audience score, uh, it just, in I don't general, know, whatever, um, <laughs> 76% from, uh, critics, which I, I, I felt like, okay, yeah, I, I think that's, I could see that. Like to me, that's, uh, that's sort of passable. Um, and maybe it was even slightly lower than I expected, or at least from what memory served, uh, of this film having as much, uh, critical acclaim. Um, but I, I do think that probably watching it now, I think people probably would just go back to, Snatch, and I don't, I don't know if they how often they would. Uh, certainly, I don't know if it's worth having a double feature uh, of the two. But uh, to what you were saying about Guy Ritchie going on to have uh, a, you know a bigger career, uh, would you rather him still be operating in that world, even if he has that sort of limited 
uh, like, you know, lad mag type interests of dudes, you know, drinking and lighting their farts on fire and uh, playing with guns uh, other rather than, you know, pretty much just being a, a gun for hire on franchise films at this point. I, I haven't seen any of these movies past Snatch. So, I mean, something, you know, I, I don't know, even Sherlock Holmes, I, I just didn't have any interest uh, in it, um, you know, or Man from Uncle. So, I don't know. I uh, I could see how it might get old if he was just trying to remake Snatch over and over again. And then I would maybe, like, come to hate that, you know, genre of filmmaking. And I don't want that either. Um, I feel like maybe he's a guy who had his time uh, very briefly. And maybe that maybe we should just let that be what it is. And, you know, maybe, maybe he's best forgotten. <laughs> one of the probably one of the more harsh things i think you said <laughs> it started out kind of kind like you know maynard had his time let's lay off of him but uh completely forgotten to me i think it's um yeah I, I think his sensibilities remain the same i mean he's he is focused almost exclusively on on not only just the male perspective, but a group of dudes hang out. I mean, his Sherlock series, it's, it's about that bond between uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law and their, how they, they take on these these two uh, famous characters. Man from Uncle, same thing. King Arthur, uh, you know, it's it's just a, about a bunch of guys uh, doing dude things. So I, I feel like he's tried to take those sensibilities and – maybe flatten them out a little bit, make them more vanilla, more palatable to mainstream audiences. And I, you know, to a certain degree of success with Sherlock Holmes, but certainly not with something like King Arthur. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I think it's something to where, you know, if Lockstock had come out with bigger stars and a higher budget, I don't know if he has the career he has now, because I do think there is that sort of, indie spirit vibe to it uh, as i said the the use of so many first timers that there's probably a little bit more enthusiasm for it than there would have been uh if there had been more known actors doing their their take on a late 90s sort of crime thriller comedy um so i, I don't know maybe, maybe i guess it's just my long way of saying just sort of time and place for him that you know he managed to capture something uh, that he's really not had to deviate that much from, and he's just fallen or failed upwards to bigger budgets at this point. But so to give him some credit, and I had to look it up just now because I completely forgotten the name of it. Um, earlier this year, I remember seeing trailers for a movie called uh, Free Fire, which looked awful. And, you know, of course it came out and didn't do any business at all. But isn't it weird that he's ki- he kind of was responsible for this creation of this genre of, of action comedy. And like, I'm looking at the poster for free fire here and it's um, everyone's holding a gun in a circle around the poster at each other. Um, You know, very, you know, sort of just like, like I would have thought that had been directed by Guy Ritchie just from looking at this poster. I think I thought that about Lair Cake for a couple of years before I actually watched it. I thought it was another Richie joint. And I was like, oh, that's his producer that's now directing a Matthew Vaughn. So, yeah, certainly there's there's some of that. But I I, I tend to think, you know, he, he certainly has not had the career of a Tarantino who, while he has stayed very much to a very particular sensibility that that man likes, you can recognize one of his films, one of his scripts. Uh, he has branched off far more successfully to to other genres while keeping those sensibilities. So, yeah, you brought up Tarantino twice. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, what do you think about this ending here that, that feels very Tarantino-esque? 
um, this, and I, it's a very ambiguous ending, I would say. And I guess if we want to get into spoiler territory at this point, we, we probably can. Is that fair? Spoiler alert for, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this note of ambiguity with, uh, with the guy throwing away the antique shotguns. Um, I, I, what, w- okay. What do you think about it? I, I thought, uh, you know, I read that there there was a different ending, and I, I don't know if that's available on, on disc. I uh, I believe I watched this on, uh, like, the Showtime streaming service. Um, I think it's fine, given the, the tone of, of the film. I You know, I think as you're watching it, or at least as I was watching it this time, even though I didn't exactly remember how it resolved, uh, I, I think that you can tell a mile away that, these guys are not going to, they're not going to come to any harm, uh, but they're probably also not going to get away with anything. Like it, it feels very much like they're leaning into an ending that resolves with them being back at square one. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I like the, the ending in the sense that uh, I, I think it's set up well that for the most part, it's just a series of each one of them being berated. It's, you know, the, the guy who has his uh, bartender father who was sort of roped into this. In fact, that's part of the big con from the, the villains that they're going to take his father's bar uh, from him by getting the son so much debt. You know, he, he's taking his tongue lashing and then he proceeds to take part in giving a tongue lashing to our uh, character who is probably, I guess, the, the brain's of the operation, or at least he's the street smart one that, that makes the most connections who has held on to the only thing that can tie them to this crime, which is the guns. And then as it turns out, after he's told to know in certain terms, get rid of them, uh, it's revealed to them that they are worth a great deal of money. And uh, big Chris has, has left them with something of value uh, out of all this. Um, I mean, I think, I, I don't know, would you, have, are, are you asking me if I would have preferred that to be resolved more in some finite way? Like that we actually see the guns, uh, thrown over the bridge and then left with nothing. Cause I, I, you know, I, I think the, uh, the sight gag, the visual gag of him being caught between, uh, you know, letting, <laughs> letting them go or answering the phone or letting go of the, the perch he's got, I think it's fine. I mean, I think it fits with what it's led up to. Um, I guess you could have had a, a darker ending there or more darkly comic of them coming away absolutely with nothing and us knowing that. But I, you know, I don't, I don't think it would have made the film any better or worse for me. I th- so I, br- I bring it up because I think when you see an ambiguous ending, you usually assume that the filmmaker has done it with the intention of you thinking about what's going to happen next uh, in the story. Um, does Popeye Doyle get shot at the end mm. of French Connection? Um, does Anton Chigurh get away with it, uh, you know, forever in No Country for Old Men? And here I look at this ambiguous ending and I think wow, it's just kind of pointless to even discuss the possibilities of what's going to happen there. <laughs> yeah. um, the, perf- the perfect ending The perfect ending is he throws the shotguns in the river and, you know, you cue the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme <laughs> and it's like a comeuppance for, for these, you know, kind of dumb, dim-witted, uh, you know, petty thieves. And that's a good ending. Like, I would, I would say it's a good movie if, if that was the ending. And because Richie held back from doing that, it, I, it, it strikes me as someone wanting to kind of ape Tarantino uh, mm. in this sort of, you know, cause it's the late nineties and everything. It's like, it's like his, it's his version of what's in the briefcase kind of deal, but it's essentially pointless. I wouldn't even have fun discussing what's going to happen there at the end. So I don't know why, why do it? 
I mean, I'll agree with you. I never really gave it much thought as far as if they <laughs> if they managed to keep the guns uh, or not. Uh, I, I don't know if I necessarily want them to be punished even more. I, I think the problem with it is it doesn't really matter because, uh, you know, they should be. And I think if you're watching the film, you're probably just happy that they survived after the, the many threats of violence and dismemberment that they've had to suffer through and we've had to suffer through. Uh, them coming away without any sort of debt or bodily harm or any grudges is already a victory. Uh, so, you know, it doesn't really matter. And I I don't think it's intended for audience members to have a problem with Big Chris being the one that gets the money. I think that everyone feels like, oh, he's the one that he's the blue collar guy. He's the one that worked for it. He went, he showed up to work. He makes a point about these jackasses removing his employment and him having a, a son who is probably the only genuine moment of peril is when the, the boy has a knife to his throat, uh, which I, I always did remember the scene where big Chris, uh, takes that guy who's threatened his, his family and just bashes his head in, uh, mm-hmm. the car. And I, I think that the reason it stuck out to me is because it's the only time I actually cared about anyone because I, even though he is a gangster, uh, and he's sort of raising his son to participate in gangster shit. I, you know, I found him to be likable and I, I think anyone can, uh, empathize with someone's family being threatened and then you can you can somewhat enjoy that that vengeance that takes place so yeah I, I think that's why i asked earlier about you know if you if you rooted for or felt the need for these these four characters because i think guy Ritchie, i think he really does as i said i think he really uh you know i think he's someone that probably would have agreed with me about everybody wants some being like the greatest film of all time last year because i think that he he i think he really really likes uh, like crafting these odes to like bromances or this this kinship among men, and uh, I I don't know I, it didn't work as certainly as well as that film for me because I I kept thinking like well, I don't know if we need four maybe three would have been fine I I don't I don't know but I felt that about the villains too so uh, yeah I no I, I had not really given much thought to that ending until you you put that question up there but um, I don't know Tarantino's his uh his sort of ambiguous endings. I mean, this is certainly a far cry. This is an understatement from Jackie Brown. This is not Robert Forster <laughs> looking out the window. <laughs> Pam Creer, she drives off. There's, there's not really anything there for me to hang my hat on as far as caring about the, the, what happens to these characters after the, the credits roll. So I think we're mostly in agreement, and I think you probably like it a little bit more than me, but I think we both are kind of, you know, negative on this film that has a pretty, that has a pretty good following even now. Right, I I I mean I guess I feel like name only maybe I don't know like I on uh you know film twitters I call it I see there are fans for Rock and Rolla which is one that I I rented back in the the Netflix like DVD days and turn you know took it out of the the di- the disc player and returned it like just had had enough of his nonsense <laughs> and so I I don't know I I don't know if there's uh. A, I would I would struggle to think that there are super Guy Ritchie fans that really celebrate all of those early films. I, I do think you're going to fall with one in particular, and I think that's good enough. And it seems, sounds like for both of us, Snatch is the one. And a lot of that does have to do with Brad Pitt, Benicio Del Toro. I don't know, just, I guess a higher, more charismatic group of actors involved. It just feels like the uh, the better version of what he was going for with Lockstock. There's a lot of setup for things here, cool ideas, and they either didn't have the finances or just didn't have the craftsmanship yet to really follow through on a lot of that stuff. And uh, I, I, that's one thing I had forgotten is at times this, this film looks 
uh, almost obnoxiously bad. Um, but I go back to it being, you know, sort of like that first time filmmaker uh, vibe. And I guess I, I'm just a little more forgiving of it. You, what you said about there being a lot of setup for, for stuff that doesn't really get paid off, you know, filmmaking wise. Um, I feel that way about the sequence that is set to the Zorba the Greek um, music as they're all, as all the different gangs are converging upon each other with, you know, with the gunfire, um, the, you know, the gunfire that occurs between them ends up being kind of lackluster in comparison to, to the buildup. Um, you know, when I heard that come on, I thought, okay, this is an introduction to some massively well choreographed, um, satisfying, interesting sequence. Um, but it wasn't. Uh, and so, so I agree with you on that. I mean that's that's uh, that's Guy Ritchie's career, right? I mean, I feel, I feel like we picked on this poor bastard <laughs> enough. I mean, Jesus, like what what did he do? What did he do to us? To <laughs> uh, probably so, given that uh, you and I have not really watched a lot of his filmography, but I, I've seen enough. Um, so I think that's enough of that that episode. Um, on uh, you know, on a, on a positive note, it gave us uh, Jason Statham. Uh, I guess. Is that positive for you? I mean, I, I, I find know, him to be a likable... Uh... I, I respect him. I respect okay. him. I haven't seen a lot of these movies that... Um, the Transporter movies and all that, but but I respect him. I respect people who are doing work like that because I think there needs to be a place in movies for that. That That's what we're going to agree on. That's our, our bit of positivity is that uh, Guy Ritchie uh, birthed uh, Jason Statham as a screen presence uh, to us. And uh, we're we're gonna pick on uh, we're gonna punch up a little bit. I think with our next episode, we're gonna we're gonna take on Clint Eastwood. And um, one of his... I think we've we've fucked this all up because scheduling wise and release date wise, um, Ravenous was supposed to come after this. You know, I, I was looking at that <laughs> and I I wondered because I was like, oh, can I edit around that? But then you uh, you, you mentioned something we did last week. Um, so I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Um, we either, we're either going to punch up to Clint Eastwood <laughs> in true crime with one of his, uh, you know, pre-Oscar, I guess post and pre-Oscar winning phases uh, with one of his genre films. Uh, or we're going to uh, punch down to uh, cult classic Ravenous. Um, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see if we fix this. In, Actually, in, release date wise, true, cr- true crime and Ravenous line up. So I guess we could have done uh, anything we wanted to had I not mentioned it and, and really done. screwed up i do also want to point out that we've skipped the whole week uh whole weekend of march 12th through 14th 1999 which included such classics as the rage carry 2 okay uh the corruptor baby geniuses uh the deep end of the ocean which i kind of remember liking uh and wing commander so i feel if- good about that <laughs> i think you know I don't I don't know if necessarily a mistake was made there. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99 from 99.